Thank you, girls, and I appreciate the church praying for one of our dear members. And uh, we really are a family is what we are, and sure appreciate it. I'm going to ask you if you take your Bibles and go to two places. One is turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, once you find your place there, 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to ask you to hold your place there and turn also over to Acts 1. 1 Corinthians 15, and then over to Acts chapter number 1. I thank God for the 10 people that trusted Christ as their Savior today. Folks, listen, I'll be honest with you, if one person would have gotten saved, it would have been worth it. But to think that 10 people have changed their eternal destination, what a blessing that is. And it's good to have visitors not only here this morning, but even here tonight. And uh, good to see some some new faces here tonight. Appreciate some of these ladies showing up, and uh, got their got their she walked in with her mailer in her hand, and uh, pre- appreciate uh, appreciate so much uh, these these ladies making priority to be in God's house. And I pray that God would speak to all of us. And uh, so we are here tonight. Of course, we've been studying on Sunday nights this uh, theme: stand for truth. And I don't know about you, but I get so tired of all the lies, and I, I want to know the truth. I really believe that in, in our nature is, although human nature is we love to hear things, whether it's true or not, I think deep inside we want to know. We want to know what's right. And, and you know, I, I talked to somebody the other day, and I said, when you do things wrong, I said, does anybody have to tell you that you did something wrong? And he looked at me, and he goes, no. He goes, I already know. And uh, so tonight we're going to continue standing for the truth. And uh, I was praying about, Lord, you know, been preaching up to the resurrection. And, of course, today we celebrate the resurrection. And uh, I said, now, what would you have me to preach on Resurrection Sunday evening? And God said, sent me to this passage here, 1 Corinthians 15. And so I thought about this. What if the resurrection didn't exist? And so the re- reality is there is, notice that word if, what if. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of maybe play, I'm not going to use the word devil's advocate, but maybe I'm just going to play a little banter here tonight because we know that the resurrection did happen, amen? I hope I'm in the right place. But, uh, but what if it didn't? What would be the ramifications? Now, this statement, what if... Easter didn't exist, well, that is something that would be maybe hypothetical. It would be something that would be conjecture. What I mean by that is hypothetical means that it is something that is supposed, but it's not supported by available evidence. Now, a lot of times people say, well, you know, this happened, this didn't happen. But again, there needs to be evidence to support what you're saying. The word conjecture, similar to the word hypothetical, means forming an opinion with insufficient proof of its reliability. In other words, trying to make a point but not having enough evidence, you know, a lot of times that's how certain situations happen in life, maybe with a criminal, maybe some type of situation that the police get involved in, 
and they, they want to try a certain individual, but the person is let go because there's insufficient evidence. Everybody with me so far? Just trying to set the stage. Uh, hopefully you'll understand where we're going here. Now, there's, there are people, even some in religious circles, it's amazing, who say, well, the resurrection never really happened. It's hard for us to believe as Bible-believing Christians, but if you take yourself back, I don't know how many years it's been, either when you were unsaved or maybe when you first got saved or maybe you were misled by maybe another religious system, there are, listen, Jesus even said in his day there were the Pharisees, but there was another group called the Sadducees, and the Bible says in the days of Jesus they did not believe in the resurrection. I still think there are many religious groups, bodies, that do not believe the resurrection ever happened. Now, one sure text that I want you to go to, if you have your finger, hold it there in 1 Corinthians 15, but go over to Acts chapter number 1 if you already have prepared to go there. And I want you to look. Now, let me set the stage here. Look here for until we read these verses. Let me just set the stage when you look at the New Testament of our Bible, what you have is it begins with what we know as four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The reality is, is there's only one gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's, it's God is giving us four eyewitnesses or four different accounts of the life of Christ. So that's why many times you see in your Bible, maybe yours is like that, you would see the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. So when you look at those four accounts, what you see is a full snapshot of what happened in Jesus' life. Now, some things are recorded in all four of the gospel records. Now, not many things appear in all four, but some do. There are some that appear in three of the four, some appear in two of the four, and there are some that only appear in one of the gospel records. Now remember, God's word is true and every man's a liar, right? So here's the thing is, when you get to this book, the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, remember that the Apostles were those that were chosen by Jesus and he personally taught them, trained them sent them out, and he commissioned them so that when he went to the cross, when he gave his life, that when he ascended to be with the Father, the work that he began, he said, I will build my church. And so what he did was he left the work of God, the work of the church, in the hands of the apostles. So the book of Acts is really a transitional book. It transitions from when Jesus was on this earth to where we see the church in the first century. Now, beyond the book of Acts, you have the book of Romans, you have First and Second Corinthians, you have Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, and if you remember all those, those are the letters written to the churches, to Christians. Many, many understand that God instrumentally used the apostle Paul to write many of those books. And of course, they weren't Paul's words, they were God's words. Now, the book of Acts, again, is a transitional book. Like, for instance, one of the things that we see is that 
in the Old Testament time, the Holy Spirit of God at times would come upon an individual for a specific task, but the Holy Spirit was not a permanent indwelling presence. When Jesus came, he was God in the flesh. When Jesus was preparing to lead, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place. But he said, I will send one just like me that will comfort you, that will guide you into all truth. And so we who are living on this side of the cross understand that as the second person of the Godhead went up, Jesus, the third person of the Godhead came down, the Holy Spirit. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, like the ten that did today, one of the blessings of being a Christian is we receive the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and He dwells in us. Can I get an amen? That's why, listen, that's why Jesus said, and lo, I am with you how often? Always, even unto the end of the world, amen, right? So here's the thing is, is that we have the blessing of having the Holy Spirit of God. Now, notice in your Bible tonight that when you come to Acts chapter number 3, and I want you to keep that in mind, notice the wording here in verse number 1. And this is Luke writing here, who also wrote the book of Luke. Notice he says, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. Now, some people, they, they want to discuss, and, and really, there's a, I don't think it's bad either way, That but if you know the word Theo or theology, Theo stands for what? God, right? So now there's also uh, words like phileo, which is the Greek word for anybody know? For love. So this word Theophilus is kind of an interesting word. Now, many people believe that it was an actual person that his name means lover of God, and that's, that could fit. Some people believe that it's a term that is an endearment of the actual church, and I think that fits as well. Now, you might uh, feel differently about it, but I think both of those are applicable here. But notice, it talks about the things, it, it, look, let's read on. O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to what? Okay, speak to me, of Jesus began to what? Do and teach. So the Bible's telling us here that what we're seeing here is all the things when Jesus was on this earth, all the things that he did and all the things that he taught. Now look at verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, we studied this in the weeks gone by, how Jesus, look, he knew that his time was short. He was in the upper room. He was preparing them because he knew that he was going to go to the cross, and then he knew that he was going to go to the garden tomb. He knew that he was going to give his life. And so even in his last moments, what was he doing? He was still teaching his disciples. He was commissioning them. Now, no, let's read on. The Bible says in verse 3, about those apostles, to whom also, to them, he showed himself, what's that word? Alive. 
Now notice this, after his, what's the word? Passion. Now the word there, passion, is the word pascha. It's where oftentimes we hear the word Passover. It's interesting, that's the same word that's used in Acts 12.4 for the word Easter. And here's what it means, suffering. Jesus went through all that he went through, and the Bible says, look at it again, he was with them until the day that he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, whom also he showed himself alive. What's the next word? After. So this was after he suffered. This was after he gave his life. This was after he died on the cross. Notice, after his passion, after his suffering, look at the next couple words. By many, what's the word? Infallible proofs. Being seen of them for how many days? Forty days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now let's just break this down. You all don't mind if we just do a little Bible study here, right? Right? This is a Bible church. All right? Now, I know there are other religions that like this word infallible. (laughs) But we're not going to study it like they are. We're going to study it as God gave it, what it really means. All right? Now, I know this means nothing to you, but just to show you that I have spent time studying the Word of God, this word, infallible, is actually the word tekmerion. It's a neat word because it means, here it is, it means a sure sign. It means a positive proof. So Jesus showed himself alive, not by one, not by two, but by Many infallible, sure signs, it's referencing something, listen, that cannot be doubted, something that is unquestionable. Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, as we just read, and we could go to other places, were surely and plainly known. I mean, listen, for 40 days... He was seen by some women. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the ten. Then he was seen by the eleven. Up to 500 brethren at one time, he left no doubt by many infallible proofs. According to, and I know a lot of people like, they think it's the Bible, but according to Webster's. All right? Webster describes the word infallible, and I like it is incapable of error. And then Webster says this, never wrong. I like that. Now, you say, why am I saying all this? Because, again, if we are standing for what? For truth. There's a lot of error in the world today. People say, well, the resurrection never really happened. And the devil loves to tamper with the truth. He's a counterfeiter. He loves to bend the Word of God, and so this is one of those passages that the devil's been having a high time with, and I want to show it to you. Now, please, 
Don't get offended at what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do because that's not my intention. My intention is to show you how crafty, how deceitful the devil is. I want you to think about this because the Bible, and I believe that the King James Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Now, you may have a different version, and that's okay. It's okay for us to differ. You might disagree, and and guess what? I still love you, and I hope you still love me. But can I share with you some thoughts here? And by the way, these aren't my thoughts. These are actually, I've looked these up. In our Bible, we find the word many infallible proofs. But in the ASV, the American Standard Version of the Bible, it does not say many infallible proofs. It says by many proofs. There's a word missing. In the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says, by many proofs. In the Revised Standard Version, the RSV, it says, by many proofs. In other words, these versions are leaving out the infallibility. That's pretty big. In other words, the incapableness of error. In other words, it's just by proofs, by many proofs. How many? We have no idea. Many could be one, many could be two. But the Bible says by many infallible proofs. I also see that there are other versions. And again, I believe all of this is the work of the devil. Can I just say that I believe that every Bible, no matter what version it is, contains some truth. Did you hear me tonight? But it also could contain some error. Now look at this. The Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, doesn't say many infallible proofs, doesn't say by many proofs. It says by many convincing proofs. The New American Standard, NASB, says by many convincing proofs. The New International Version, the NIV, says by many convincing proofs. The New World Translation, which is the NWT, which is the the Bible version of choice by the Jehovah Witnesses, says many convincing proofs. All of those versions use the word convincing instead of the word infallible. Can I just say to you, there's a big difference between convincing and infallibility. As a matter of fact, when you look up the word convince, here's what it says. Persuade by argument. How about this? Cause to feel uncertain. I don't know about you, but I want to be sure. And by the way, I am sure that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is alive. But see, there are many that say it did not happen. There are other versions out there, and again, I'm not picking on any particular version. I'm trying to illustrate a fact. One popular Bible that's out right now is called the Message. The Message doesn't say by many infallible proofs. It actually says in many different settings. There's another Bible called the New Living Translation, the NLT, that doesn't say many infallible proofs. It says in many ways. I mean, I could go on and on to illustrate, but can I say to you tonight that Jesus and the Word of God 
left no doubt that the resurrection did happen by many infallible proofs. There's no persuasion, there's no uncertainty, just the truth that the resurrection did happen. Now having said that, if you still love me and you haven't got up and walked out yet, look in your Bible in 1 Corinthians 15 tonight. So what if the Easter didn't exist? And you say, well, Pastor, I thought you were talking about the resurrection. Easter and the resurrection are the same thing, if you haven't figured that out by now, because they're both taken from the same word, Pascha. They both deal with the suffering of the Lord Jesus. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, now if Christ be preached, that he rose from the dead, how say some among you, notice, among you, that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain? And he says, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep, in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most what? Miserable. Now, do you understand the ramifications if Easter did not exist, if Jesus did not rise from the dead? When I was a young kid growing up, one of the things I guess that fascinated me was the life, or really, I don't know if I'd necessarily put it that way, but I heard about a man named Harry Houdini. There's a picture of him right there. That's in a jail cell in a prison. Houdini died in October of 1926. His claim to fame was he was a magician that specialized in spectacular escapes. Anybody ever watch one of those? I, I watched a few of them. He was said to have laughed at locks, sneered at shackles. They said that Harry had the flexibility of an eel and the lives of a cat. They did all kinds of things to try to incarcerate him. They sealed him in coffins, but he would escape. They riveted him into a boiler, and he escaped. They sewed him up in canvas bags, and he escaped. They locked him in a milk can, and he escaped. They sealed him in a barrel, and he escaped. They put him in maximum security prison, and old Harry somehow got out. But in October 1926, old man death laid his hands on Harry Houdini and put him in a grave, and he has yet to escape that grave. As a matter of fact, before his death, he told his wife, if there is any way out, I will find it. If there is any way out, I will contact you, and we will do it on the anniversary of my death. 
They say that for 10 years after his death, his wife kept a light burning over his portrait. And at the end of 10 years, she turned out the light. Death had Harry, and he couldn't escape it. Can I say from what we've studied this past week or weeks, death laid its hands on Jesus as well. It put him in a tomb. A stone was placed over the opening. It was sealed by the Roman government. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the sleep of death and he walked out of that tomb. See, he's alive today. He's not in a tomb. Matter of fact, he's on a throne in heaven. Let's just suppose tonight that that didn't happen. That death still held him. What then? What if Easter did not exist? What are the implications of that thought? The truth is, our entire faith hinges on this one event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Countless millions have placed their faith in Christ because they believe in the resurrection. In Jesus' day, again, there were those like the Sadducees that did not believe in the resurrection. Even today, scholars would argue, and these are not my words, these are their words verbatim. They said that an unexamined, unchallenged, post-enlightenment bias has led far too easily to dismissing the resurrection as nothing more than wishful thinking. What would our lives be if the resurrection never occurred? Can I share with you four thoughts what your life would be if the resurrection never happened? Notice, first of all, tonight, if there was no resurrection, our message would be powerless. Our message would be powerless. Look back in chapter 15 again in verse number 12. The Bible says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is your preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he, God, raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Now in verse 14, the word vain means unable to produce an effect. It means powerless. That's what the word vain means. Paul was saying there that if Easter did not exist, that our message would be powerless. What is our message? Well, look here in the same chapter. Look at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the what? The Scriptures. You know what you call that? That's the Gospel. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Listen, you can see the entire life of Jesus in one verse. Look in your notes, 1 Timothy 3.16, just like John 3.16. You ought to study sometime the 3.16s of the Bible. Here's another great one, and look at the life of Christ here. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, talking about the incarnation of Jesus. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. And after all that, he was received up into glory. Hey, that's a snapshot right there of the entire life of the Lord Jesus. Now listen, if the resurrection did not happen, if Jesus did not rise, then Easter doesn't exist. If Easter doesn't exist, then our message is powerless. Without Jesus' resurrection, guess what, folks? There is no good news to proclaim. There's nothing good to say. All there would be is bad news. What is that bad news? That you and I, that everyone that's ever been born in this world would be forever separated from God for all of eternity. Our sins have separated us from our God. We would spend eternity in a place described as fire and brimstone where the worm dieth not, where the fire is not quenched. Our message, can I say tonight, is not powerless. Our message is that Easter does exist, that Jesus is risen. Notice what Paul said in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Ten people today. Nobody, nobody went to them. Nobody twisted their arm. Nobody manipulated them. Every one of them thought about their condition, and every one of them put their faith in Christ. Why? Because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, people say the resurrection didn't happen. It doesn't exist. The gospel of Jesus Christ in 2022 has the power still to change lives. Now, notice... Another thing that would happen, not only if there was no resurrection, no Easter, our message would be powerless, but then notice from 1 Corinthians 15, our faith would be useless. Our faith would be useless. It would be of no use. It would have no purpose. Now again, we see the word. Look at verse 14 again. The Bible says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Again, the word giving the the meaning here that your faith is empty, that your faith is devoid of the truth, that your faith is without effect. If Easter doesn't exist, in other words, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is empty. There's nothing to it. What good is faith? If Christ is not risen from the dead. In other words, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then there's no need to follow him. 
the reality, like so many in the world today who don't believe in the resurrection, they just live like they want, they just act like they want, they do what they want, they talk the way they want. You know why? Because it doesn't matter because they don't believe in the resurrection. I believe that in every one of us is a desire humanly to trust someone. I'm sure in your life you've been let down. Somebody has broken your heart. Somebody has lied to you. But all of us are looking for someone that when it just seems like everything in our life is falling apart, that that person will be there for us. Someone that we can count on. We buy, and I'm sure you're like me, you go to the store and you want to buy something and you're looking at it, and really what are you looking for many times because you can find whatever it is, but as you look at it, there are different people that make it. So what are you looking at? You're looking for a brand that you can trust. I'm not going to buy that. I've never heard that brand. I'm not going to buy that because it doesn't have good reviews. We're the same way when it comes to relationships. All of us want to be in a relationship with somebody that's trustworthy. Somebody that we know will be there for us. But listen, even in the best of relationships, people have let us down. People have failed us. But listen, the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we can't trust him. Do you see the ramifications here? We can't trust him with our lives. If he didn't rise from the dead, we certainly cannot trust him with our eternity. How can we trust him with our eternity if he never really rose from the dead? Fortunately, though, for us, Jesus did rise from the dead, and Easter does exist, and that it is real, it's not fake, it is true, it's not a lie. Look, we can trust him with our lives. You and I can live for him. We can trust him. Why? Because Jesus has risen. Notice what Paul says, and I like the spirit of this verse in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, and he understood that he's still living in the flesh. He said, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when I think about this, look, a lot of people say, well, why do you go to church? Why do you have such faith? Because Jesus rose as he said he would. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. They thought, what a fool. They were thinking about how many years it took humanly to build the temple. And yet they missed it because the Bible says, this spake he of his body. Jesus said, look, you can do what you want. But he says, you keep your faith where it needs to be, and it needs to be in me. Keep your faith in the person of Christ. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your family. You can trust him with your relationships. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your future. 
questions, where would we be if it wasn't for the faith we have in Christ? I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I've been challenged, James, by your faith. The faith of so many that have gone through some dark times, deep times. But God is our very present help in times of trouble. I don't know about you, but I would emotionally and physically collapse if it wasn't for my faith in Christ. But you see, if Jesus did not rise, if there was no resurrection, our faith would be useless. Our message would be powerless. Understand tonight, thirdly, that our salvation would be pointless. Our salvation. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and look at this statement, ye are yet what? In your sins. Verse 18, Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. The Bible says clearly, ye would be yet in your sins. In other words, if the Easter did not exist, there would be no such thing as salvation. I mean, the very name of Jesus means Savior. See, salvation, as wonderful as it is, what does salvation do? It promises the forgiveness of sins. But yet here, many say that if Christ be not risen, we are still in our sins. If we're still in our sins, then according to the Word of God, we are not forgiven. Worst of all, watch this, we would still owe our own sin debt ourselves. I don't know if you ever really thought about that. He died the death that we should have died. He took our sins. But see, if there's no resurrection, we owe the debt for ourselves. If we still owe the debt for our sins, then we cannot fellowship with God. Because God is a holy God. And an unholy people cannot fellowship with a holy God. See, salvation is wonderful because it promises promises a future, a resurrection one day, and a home in heaven for all of eternity. But if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you and I, look, we too cannot expect to uh, be raised from the dead either. If he's not been raised, then we too would not be raised. A major part of our salvation is the forgiveness of sins, the promise of the resurrection. But if Jesus did not rise again, then you and I cannot experience salvation at all. See, aren't you glad today that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross? Look what it says here in verse 3 again of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ, let's say that together, died for our sins. He died for our sins. 
See, the resurrection is important to our salvation. Look at another great verse here, Romans 4.25, talking about Jesus who was delivered for our what? Offenses. And he was raised again for our what? Our justification. See, justification, when God looks at us who have placed our faith in Christ, understand that he sees us just as if we had never even been a sinner. All that is made possible because of the the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason that God raised his son from the dead there in your notes is twofold. One, it is to indicate or to, uh, excuse me, vindicate that Jesus was truly innocent of sin. In other words, the Bible tells us that he had no sin, that he was incapable of sin. He was impeccable in all points. Listen, he was tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. One of the reasons God raised him was to vindicate his own son, that he was truly innocent, the Lamb of God, without spot and without blemish. But notice the second reason that he raised his son was to validate our forgiveness as a demonstration that God had received Christ's sacrifice for our sins. The Bible uses the word propitiation. In other words, God was satisfied. Jesus is the only one that could have ever satisfied the just and holy demands of God. See, no other person, no other animal could have ever atoned for the sins of this world, for our sins. And so God raised His Son to vindicate Him, to validate that He had received the sacrifice for our sins. And aren't you thankful tonight that Easter does exist and that Christ has risen? And the result is this fact that salvation, your salvation that is in Christ, is not pointless. That there is validity to it. It is absolutely essential and it is absolutely necessary. Listen, there is no other way. Jesus is the door and there is no one that enters into the Father except through Jesus himself. And so our salvation, because the resurrection happened, is our salvation is a purpose. It's not pointless. And I want you to see fourthly tonight that if there is no resurrection, then our life would be hopeless. Boy, this is one to take with you tonight. Look at verse number 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life, notice the statement, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, I hope you know, listen, our hope goes beyond this life. But he says, if in this life only, Our hope in Christ, we are of all men most, what's the word again? Miserable. Now listen, I think all of us, at least I know this, I want my life to count for something. I want my life to matter. I I want to make a difference in the world that I'm living in. But if Christ be not raised from the dead, the Bible says we are miserable. Now what does that mean? It says, it is saying here that, We of all people are the ones that are the most to be pitied because everything we're trusting in is in this life. If there is no resurrection, now notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.13, 
The Bible says, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. The word defamed is the same word that you find in the gospel records, watch this, as the word blasphemed. Interesting word, blasphemed. It means evil spoken of. It means to be reproached. Why, why would this be the case if the resurrection had not happened? Because, watch this, if there was no resurrection, if Easter did not exist, then everything that you and I are living for is nothing more than a lie. It doesn't matter. If Christ is not risen, if Easter doesn't exist, then guess what? Life is hopeless. If Christ had not risen, you've wasted your life by living a lie. But Christ did rise from the dead. So instead of being pitied, we should actually be envied. Why? Because the life that we live does matter. See, I see people today that say, this life matters and this life matters. Can I just say to you tonight, according to God, that all life matters to God. doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter what your background is. Listen, I understand the oppression of some groups, but all life matters. God so loved the world. See, man loves to divide. But see, we understand how important life is. And notice as we think about how we are rich in the Lord and what God has done for us, and because we do have the resurrection and we do have hope, notice the last verse of this very chapter in our Bibles. Paul writes and says, Therefore, having said all these things, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, we too should be envied. Why? Because of the glorious rewards that we will have uh, that await us someday. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Look at the verse. For our light affliction. I know sometimes it's hard to look at it that way, isn't it? The things that we go through. God looks at it as light affliction, which is but for a moment. But look at this, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of what? Glory. See, only what's done for Christ will last. Our treasures are laid somewhere else beyond the blink. You see, what we do has eternal significance. That's why the resurrection, Easter, is so important to us as Bible-believing Christians. The story is told of a woman, true story, she was diagnosed with terminal illness. She had been given three months to live. As she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and she asked her pastor to come to her house, she said she wanted to discuss some things with him about her final wishes, and she began to tell him when he got there, and they sat down, which song she wanted to be sung at her service, and what scriptures she wanted to be read, and she even got down to the outfit that she wanted to be wearing, and she requested 
to be buried with her favorite Bible. And as the pastor wrote all that down and was preparing to leave, the woman suddenly remembered something else. She said, hold on, pastor, there's, there's one more thing. She got kind of excited about it. The pastor said, well, what's that? She said, this is important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. stood there looking at the woman, not exactly knowing what to say. The woman went on to explain. She said, in all my years of attending church, and it must have been a Baptist church, she said, all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, she said, when the dishes of the main course were all cleared off the tables, someone would inevitably lean over and say, She said, that was my favorite part of the meal. She said, because I knew something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. She said, so when people see me in that casket with a fork in my hand, and they ask, what's with the fork? She said, I want you to tell them, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. You see, all of that is possible. Why? Because Easter doesn't end. Jesus did rise from the dead. Look here in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 20. The Bible says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. And notice he's become the first fruits of them that slept. The Bible tells us because he rose, we too, we too, listen Christian, we too will die. Look at these two verses I gave you, 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus, notice the promise of God, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, God says, keep the fork, the best is yet to come. Let's bow our heads tonight. Let's stand, if you would, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder tonight. Do you believe all Scripture? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Listen, if you have come tonight and you don't know for sure, whatever it is that brought you here tonight, can I just say to you, God wanted you here. Life is precious. None of us know how long we have. But I'll tell you this, what makes life worth living is having Jesus in your heart. And if you're here this evening and you've never had a time in your life 
where you've realized that you're a sinner, that Christ died for your sins so that you can have a home in heaven someday. If you've never accepted that, if you've never opened your heart and received the gift of God, why don't you do that tonight? Why step out into eternity and spend forever without God when it's clear that it is not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance? I wonder tonight, are you saved? Are you sure of your salvation? How many of you could raise your hand, Pastor, I'm sure of my salvation? You could put your hands down. Some, unless I missed it, couldn't raise their hand. That's okay. We're not going to embarrass anyone tonight. But there's a God in heaven that already knew why you couldn't raise your hand. And that same God loves you. He is reaching out to you tonight. He gave the most precious gift that he had. He gave his son. Jesus, the son of God, was willing to leave the splendors of heaven and come to this world so that you, when this life is over, can spend eternity in heaven with him. I wonder tonight, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter what your background is, what you've done. God loves everyone. And I wonder tonight, because if you have never accepted Christ, the Bible, we just read it, you are yet in your sins. Tonight, right where you're at, between you and God, would you pray to God? You don't have to pray out loud. But would you maybe pray something like this? Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done some things in my life that you're not pleased with. God, I'm asking you tonight, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my heart and be my Savior? And here's what the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you tonight, doesn't matter what church you've gone to or no church at all. Would you pray to the Lord something very simple? Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Everyone heads still bowed. Everyone's eyes are still closed. I'm going to close 
in a word of prayer in a little bit. But I wonder before I do, did you pray that prayer? Did you ask the Lord to be your Savior? If you did, I'm not going to call you out. I don't know your name probably. But I would like to include you. I wonder by an upraised hand if you would say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer tonight. I asked Jesus to save me from my sin. Would you slip your hand up tonight as a testimony, Pastor? I asked Jesus. Thank you. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Anyone else? You can put your hand down. Anyone else tonight? Pastor, I... I ask the Lord to be my Savior tonight. I ask Him to forgive me of my sin. Anyone else? We're going to give you a moment for church members and even those that maybe are visiting with us tonight to come and spend a little moment with the Lord here at the altar, at the front of the platform here. I'm going to have Brother Kenny begin to sing. And when he does, why don't you step out if God has been speaking to your heart tonight. Why don't you come and do business with the Lord? As Brother Kenny sings, you come. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Don't hesitate. Because he Would you come? Lives, all fear is gone. Some of you ought to come tonight and be thankful for the resurrection. Some of you ought to be thankful for the fork. The best is yet to come. This life is but a moment. He, lives, God sent his son. Because he lives. Him Jesus. That's how we face day he in and day out. To love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior. If you know the song, sing it along with Brother Kenny. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray, I pray, God, that you would continue to help us. God, may we believe, may we have faith in God. We can trust you because you have given your life and you have risen. That's how we face each day, because you live. Thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that there is an Easter. Lord, we continue to pray for so many that need you. We pray especially, God, that you would wrap your loving arms around Janet. Continue to strengthen her. God, may she know that there's not only a loving God that cares so much about her, but there is a church, a family that loves her so dearly. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name.